This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Steve Martorano, inviting you to join us uh, as we speak each episode to experts in the behavioral health field. The idea, of course, is to uh, foster diverse and meaningful conversations on a wide range of issues that cover a broad topic that we refer to as behavioral health. Well, we're going to turn our attention to what everybody else has been paying attention to, and that is the uh, coronavirus. This is an event of uh, historic proportions. I can't remember any other uh, event that has interrupted life, not my life, not your life, but life the way this uh, pandemic has. There are many, many questions, more than there are answers. But we're going to take a look at a specific area because we, we think we have some answers for you. In fact, we, we know we have answers. You may, you may have someone in a healthcare facility that you're wondering about their care and their well-being and their safety. We're, we are going to find out what is going on at Retreat Behavioral Health Facilities. Uh, Retreat is, as I've told you many, many times, the underwriter of this program. We're not here to tell you that uh, they are the they are the, you know the greatest healthcare uh, facility in the world. They're renowned for, for their for their care and service and all that. But we can tell you what's going on inside Retreat and their facilities and give you an idea of what's happening. So, as I said, if you have elderly parents in nursing homes or people in hospitals that you probably have been locked out from visiting, you have many, many questions about what goes on in a healthcare facility during a pandemic. To that end, we are so very grateful to pull away from a very important job, Melissa Callahan. Melissa is the Corporate Director of Nursing for Retreats Facilities in Lancaster County and in Florida, as well as now in uh, Southern Connecticut. But she is also, and I just found this out moments ago, Corporate Director of Infectious Disease for uh, for Retreat. And uh, we are so very grateful to, as I said, pull her away from her work. Thank, thank you, Melissa. Good morning, Steve. How, How are, are you? you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, you're the only person who's ever done the program here who I didn't say, please turn your phone off. You can leave your phone on. Because I don't I, think you want it on today. <laughs> I know a lot of people are trying to get a hold of you. Before we get into the to the, to the nuts and bolts of what goes on at a place like Retreat in, in face of this crisis, t- tell me about your, your role as the uh, Corporate Director of Infectious Disease. Okay, so when I started, I've been at Retreat now for five years, and I became the director of first the Lancaster location, and then went on to the other locations and became corporate. Um, I have been fortunate enough to be able to look at all the possible risk factors within the building for patients and staff, and run a meeting every month for multiple disciplines to attend and have conversation. What are the risks that we see? We collect data. We document every single infectious disease, whether it be a common cold to a stomach virus, for every patient as well as every staff member. Annually, we will look at all of that and determine what our highest risk factors are. We create a infectious disease plan every single year for every location, and um, it seems to be a way that we can provide a safe, healthy environment for patients and staff. Yeah. And we've collected great data to make change over the years. Uh, so it's interesting to note that uh, the, cor- uh, the corporate director of infectious disease is not some... 
extra duties that you uh, take on uh, because of what's going on now. Infectious diseases inside a healthcare facility are fairly common occurrence, right? Fairly common. Fairly common. This pandemic that is occurring right now, obviously, we have to have increased awareness, increased preparation. But I feel fortunate that we already had many things in place to try to create the healthiest environment and be aware of this risk that we are now facing. In your experience, are most well-run facilities already at least that far ahead? They have plans for things like colds or, or, or your garden variety flu and how to handle that. Absolutely. Um, if you're a credentialed facility, it's absolutely mandatory. Joint Commission is very focused on infectious disease, data collection, and continually improving the processes. Well, I want to get into the, it's, as I said, the weeds of what you do um, with regard to getting ready for this. Um, but let me, let me begin with the question I asked you before we started, and that is, in your position, as you mobilize for this which um which which group do you first need to take a look at is it the staff or is it is it the patient i know your patients are your primary concern but you need to know what your staff's situation is right absolutely so the patients obviously we have a lot of things in place knowing that there's high risk especially in a behavioral health facility or healthcare facility but our staff are a primary focus right now because There are things known about the pandemic right now, which I like to call COVID-19 and not continually call it coronavirus. We do have a very specific strain, and it's COVID-19. What I think is most important is our healthcare system and how we can protect it in order to take care of any and all patients that become sick. That's a very key point, and I think you should make it again for people. The the, um, re- the remarkable and extraordinary lengths to which we're going to stop social intermingling and sporting events and large is largely about that issue. No matter how big this gets, the first line of defense is our health care system. It cannot be overwhelmed or then we're in real trouble. Correct. Correct. We have a little bit of experience looking at the other locations where this originated and spread prior to coming to the United States. Um, There are a lot of people with a lot of questions. And I think that the isolation that has been invoked in much of the United States or is beginning in this past week and probably will continue the next couple of weeks, college campuses, NBA, the goal is to stop the spread. The goal is not focusing on how many people contract, but stopping the spread is the difference in making sure that our healthcare system is capable at at least putting up a fight and having the least fatalities possible with this pandemic. How long have you, uh, in your role as an infectious uh, disease uh, expert in your in your how far back were you getting ready for something like this it seems to me at some point that even the chinese who are now doing a a much better job stumbled at the beginning we know the criticisms that are being voiced about our response here in this country um at some point though when a, a virus kicks up that no one's real familiar with there's almost a natural tendency to to wait that's a mis tell me about your experience when were you going we got to do something um, it was prob- probably about three weeks ago. I, I do a monthly 
uh, check in with my infectious disease committees. I was already looking at a plan for our newer building, Connecticut, and I immediately realized that we have good protection risk assessment in our plans, but nothing for this level. We do accept patients from all over the United States, and they could be coming from anywhere. And it didn't have to be in the United States for me to realize that we at least have to have a plan. Being proactive makes the difference. Let's talk about the emergency plan for your staff. Um, the, they, uh, you, you need to have backup. Is that all in place if people can't come to work because they're ill? Yes, we, we are developing that right now. Um, one of the biggest focuses is not even just people being ill, but the fact now that this invoked isolation, schools are being closed, daycares, anywhere where there's greater than 10 people, the hope is to not having them gather together for one to two weeks or even longer. So then you have staff who have to even be with their children. They may not be sick, but they have to be home with them. And Retreat is committed to looking at the policies of PTO, sick leave, and we do a pretty good job at cross-training many of our staff so that we can have the ability to have coverage. The hardest part, obviously, is our licensed staff, and we're looking to the CDC and the health department to give us guidance to ensure that we have healthy staff. Many of the hospitals are creating emergency teams. So any local nurses, any licensed professionals that want to be part of the teams so they can be in addition to the staff that are in the hospital settings and the residential settings. One of the things that's interesting now about what's going on is the, I get a sense, and you tell me if I'm wrong, in your field, people aren't waiting for anybody else to tell them what to do. If they know their their job, they're they're doing it. And, and hoping everybody else catches up. Is that what's going on? I believe it is. And anybody who looks at anything in social media, you will see many nursing and doctors saying, we do this every day. We expose ourselves every day. We're aware of the risk every day. Yes, this is new with some new facets to it. But if you follow most of universal precautions, which begins primarily with hand washing, correct hand washing, you can make a dramatic difference in exposure and spread. What is correct hand washing? We know about uh, happy birthday twice. Yes. I mean, a solid 20 seconds. The recommendation is warm water and soap. Every time almost that you're touching any surface, you should be washing your hands. Mm. There is um, literature that says that COVID-19 can live approximately 10 minutes on metal surfaces, on countertops. So washing your hands as often as possible is very important. Um, Hand sanitizers are useful. Mm. They have to have at least 60% of alcohol based in them and in our setting. That is a huge topic of conversation. We have a substance use disorder setting, and we are generally alcohol-free in our hand sanitizers because um, there's been incidences where patients have drank the sanitizer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we made corporate decisions that key areas where it can be either dispensed by a staff member or monitored by a staff member, we will have the appropriate alcohol base to ensure that people are getting the best coverage. Uh, Melissa Callahan is our guest. Melissa is the uh, Corporate Director of Nursing for Retreat Behavioral Health and their facilities. She is, in addition, uh, the Corporate Director of Infectious Disease. Uh, For those of us who are trying to get ahead of the curve on what needs to be done, she's a great, great resource. And in particular, if, as I said, you have someone in a healthcare facility, whether it's a substance abuse residential facility or 
is in the case of my family, a nursing home facility, you're, you've been probably asked, told not to come, and that's a very unsettling uh, position to be in. We're trying to get you past that door, find out what's going in, on inside facilities where your loved ones might be. This is Recovery Radio. We have more. Stay with us. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Our guest is Melissa Callahan. Melissa is the uh, Corporate Director of Nursing for Retreat Behavioral Health and their facilities. She's also Corporate Director of Infectious Disease. She is uh, absolutely the best source available for our topic today, which is what, what are health care facilities and providers doing to make sure that both their patients and their staff are safe and uh, and, and prepared for, for, for the spread of this disease or to keep the spread of the disease. Uh, Let's take us through, you know, somebody who shows up at retreat a month ago or four weeks ago. What what was the process that they went through um, to to be safe? So what we created, um, and we've created this in the past couple of weeks, um, if someone has been there already, we started checking temperatures and any symptoms at all that could be consistent with any risk of spread, which right now is cough, fever greater than 100.5, a shortness of breath, and fatigue and exhaustion, pretty extreme, not not a mild case that would be associated with what normally happens right. in behavioral health settings. So, so, so let me stop you there. So as a professional here who's seen this, all, all kinds of viruses, people should have no difficulty distinguishing between a seasonal cold or even an allergy and what this disease, what, what COVID-19, um, what those symptoms are. Not necessarily. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So th- from the literature, from what's being presented for what's occurred already, most cases are mild. Um, not even a variety of them are moderate. So a lot of people won't even know, or it's just a general feeling like a cold. Mm-hmm. Um, How so- long does that does that those symptoms last them the, the, the mild part of it could yeah. be five to seven days yeah, before yeah. it becomes more severe right um and so by talking to our patients and letting them know that we are looking at this and being mindful of this on a daily basis asking the questions or at least checking a temperature it's just to alert us that maybe we need to look farther we will then use our medical staff to make a decision at that point let them get assessed and find out, is this more consistent with a common cold? Could this be a bacterial infection, a bronchitis or a sinusitis that is expected this time of year? Um, and you would do that before you felt the need to, well, maybe we should test these people. You would take Well, care- what we are utilizing now is our local health department and the CDC and their recommendations. Um, and the recommendations are if they have been potentially exposed to somebody or living in a house with someone who is exposed to travel in or out of the United States, but in a place that we already know that there's known cases, um, then we have the consideration, do we test them or not? Um, it is not going to be helpful to test everybody across the board. Mm -hmm. It is really important to follow symptom management. It's really important as a healthcare system not to panic and use your assessment and medical skills that you utilize for every presenting virus or bacterial infection. I'm familiar with your the process that uh, uh, people go through when they come into uh, retreat, interviewed many, many of them. So I understand you do a very extensive medical uh, workup on on where, you know, what kind of shape they're in when they get here, no matter why they're coming here. But but I'm I'm guessing that at no point in the the past did you ever ask anybody, 
have you traveled abroad or have you been in contact with anybody? That's being asked now, right? Correct. Correct. So even from the phone level of a pre-admission, we absolutely ask, have you yourself or someone in your immediate residence traveled at all in the past 30 days, whether that's on a cruise, a vacation from here to Washington State, out of the country? Um, a yes to that goes on to a next level for a nursing evaluation. The other question is, are you or someone in your immediate residence experiencing a fever or any of the specific symptoms related? So that when that person shows up, you're, you're ready. Or if they are experiencing those things and they're not even here yet, call your PCP, call your local health department, because they will not be appropriate to come into a setting where we already have a community. That is the goal of the healthcare system, to get people to stay home. Now we're in a situation where these people are seeking help for another reason, a behavioral Mm -hmm. health reason. Mm -hmm. At this moment... We have to make sure they're safe first, that we are the correct first place for them to come. So making that contact with a provider or the health department to s- determine, do they need to be tested before we put them in an intra-institutional setting? Right. You, because your, your priority is the integrity of the facility. Correct. And the safety of the pe- people correct. in it. Yeah, correct. That's a tough one. With regard to your staff, uh, backing up just a bit, were there any additional training that, that had to go on? Well, as of today... All of the nursing departments in all three facilities are receiving trainings that need to be done over the Internet. It's through. We use Lippincott, uh, which is a medical-based training, and that was just released in the past 72 hours. So that's been sent out to every nurse to have that. The entire company received um, training through email last week going over all of the health promotion that should be utilized for any risk and hand washing, cleaning your workspace. Retreat has supplied many um, antibacterial options, wipes, talking about cleaning your phones, your desks, your door handles, your light switches. Every time patients come in, every time they go out to a next level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Latex gloves protect you um, yes. very well, yes. correct? Yes. Uh, so all you ladies out there who dye your hair at home and have those gloves lying around, They've been up there on the shelf. Go, you know, you should be you should be using them. Um, so, uh, I want to get into things like visitors and, and all of that. Um, I, I know that that is uh, particularly important, and I also want to. And we can bring this up here now. We've got a little bit of time. The partnerships that are necessary in the broader healthcare uh, environment that surrounds any healthcare facility. You, you guys, of course, have a. Yes. robust relationship. Yes. Every facility in every state, we are having active conversations. We are not going to take someone who is in our buildings and just send them to any emergency room. We're going to definitely call and have conversations. Where are you at? Do you have beds available? This is the presentation. And do you have the ability to take this patient? What's the best way to transport them if we need to? It's not the first thing you do, though, because you have to. Every, we're all in this together, so you can't be stressing out these hospitals Correct. if you can handle it. Correct. Uh, we will isolate them and keep them in our building and follow every recommendation that is given from the CDC, the World Health Organization, and NIH on how to manage patients. Health care facilities prepare. That's the topic here on Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We turn to our guests in this important, important topic about preparing healthcare facilities for uh, COVID-19. But I want to remind you that um, we are underwritten, as I tell you every week, by the uh, good people at uh, 
retreat behavioral health, and they do that for just this purpose that you're hearing right now. It's not an infomercial. This is about inform- informing and educating people about the broad in the broadest possible way uh, about issues that concern not only substance abuse but a wide range of behavioral health situations. We are always grateful for their support uh, and the spirit in which they provide it. I'm going to give you their phone number. If there are any questions about anything you've heard on this program or any other program or any questions you may have about health care facilities uh, or substance abuse issues, you're going to get somebody, a real person on the other end of the line that knows what they're talking about. Retreat Behavioral Health, 855-859-8810. 855-859-8810. Their Corporate Director of Nursing and Corporate Director of Infectious Diseases, Melissa Callahan, is our guest on the program today. Uh, as, I, as I said at the beginning, we are getting chapter and verse from an absolute expert on what goes on inside a uh, healthcare facility as they uh, confront the COVID-19 uh, virus. One of the uh, one of the big uh, consequences of, of something like this is anxiety is is fear and uh, and and stress and the anxiety that results on that. What what are you guys doing both with patients and more directly with your staff to help them get through that? Well, one thing that I think is good for the patients, they do not have access to a ton of social media. So I think that right there is is already a help. But for the staff and the patients, we have posted signs throughout the buildings, signs encouraging them to cough and sneeze correctly, use tissues, wash their hands continuously, um, just reminders of everyday good health behaviors and promoting as much positive energy that we can. Um Panicking anxiety is real because you're hearing so much so quickly, so much information. You don't know how much of it is real or maybe exaggerated. So we definitely are guiding our staff to look at renowned sources, Hmm. CDC, World Health Organization. Don't focus on the numbers. The numbers change so rapidly. And unless you compare them to other numbers that are real or make sense to you, it doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, and be mindful, be mindful of where you're going. If they're recommending that we isolate and we don't go to large gathering areas, don't do it. Not because you're being told or what does it hurt? Maybe we can just slow down mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. Well, you, I could do an entire program on um managing media intake uh, <laughs> during this um, it's it's incredibly important to resist the natural urge to stay in front of your 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 iPad or your television set and try to process all this information trust me as somebody who's been in the media a million years you can't Melissa's absolutely right pick some sources that you trust that have in the past been straight shooting about things and you know, and check in from time to time, but because the um, you will be overwhelmed. Yes, you, emotionally you will be overwhelmed by this. There's 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 no there's no doubt about it. Now, in the uh, population that we're talking about, your staff, professional healthcare providers, there is already obviously inherent in the fact that they're they're doing that a um, a steeliness, a, a willingness to go into a problem and not run away from a problem. Is there any difference when it's a incredibly uh, communicative disease to, I mean because people go I'm not afraid I'm going to go in and go to work and help people but I've got a family and I've got kids and I've got relatives that's the key I think that the person who goes into healthcare 
wants to be on the front line most often. Some don't. They just want to take care of people and still can get anxious and fearful. But I think the bigger concern is I know my exposure, but then when I am spreading or potentially exposing my children, my husband, my parents, that changes the conversation. And you have to be mindful. You have to slow down and think risk versus benefit. And, you know, we want our employees, our our policies are written focused on care for patients, staff, and their families. We take all three into the equation of how retreat is going to support and help through this situation. You know, I was uh, surprised, I guess surprised because I wouldn't normally look in these areas. When I read up on uh, some of the guidelines from a, a CDC and others like that, uh, that there are a whole, a whole range of things that healthcare providers um, should know about because they're right there in black and white. One of the things I saw was something called the PPE. Yes. So tell us what, because this, I raised this because it would go a long way towards alleviating anxiety yes. of the staff. What's the PPE? So personal protective equipment is something that was created a long time ago with the pandemic of HIV. And it, it includes gloves, gowns, masks, eye protection as needed. It's giving the staff the ability to protect themselves no matter what they're exposed to and to decrease transmission and exposure. Yeah, it's interesting to hear somebody say that and to read about it because for the longest time, I think we all just sort of there was sort of believe that there was some magic bubble that protected doctors and nurses and no. hospital workers. I no. mean, they never get sick. Well, they do get sick. They uh, do. Yeah, they do get sick. Uh, so, you know, you obviously... We're up to speed on something like the PPE before the situation like this. For for people listening in terms of, you know, personal protection equipment, what should they be thinking about? Do, do, Do masks work and do gloves work and all of that stuff? I think the average person does not need PPE, but I think that we have seen that they have bought out all the toilet paper, Purell, and antibacterial that exists anywhere on any shelf. Um, I think it's important that everyone should already have soap in their house and have been washing their hands all along. Um, I know that Purell and alcohol-based hand sanitizers are really important to help protect us. Um, using tissues in general, when you cough and sneeze or cough into your elbow, we know droplets go six feet, and we need to just wash our hands, cover our mouths, watch when you touch things with your hands, and then touch your face. Um, I've been able to send out a little health tip a day, and today was my first day. And what I have asked all of our employees to consider is clean your cell phone. I believe cell phones are going to be the number one vector of all spread of everything because it's great if you have a clean hand, but you pick up a phone with a case that's been sitting on the counter all over the place, sneezed on, coughed on. So I'm asking everybody, clean your cell phone almost as vigorously as you're cleaning your hands because not only do your hands touch it, but you're also bringing it to your face oftentimes, whether you're on speakerphone or talking on it and you're texting and typing and it is the biggest vector in my eyes. No, he's cl- clearly. It's, and you're the first person. I've, I've heard people say clean your phone, but they didn't say it as urgently as you just did. <laughs> when you think about how much, how, how often that phone is in your hand. Uh, I mean, for some people, it's never down. Correct. So, yeah, that makes sense. L- let me, uh, I don't know to what extent 
you, you feel comfortable answering stuff like this, but with regard to um, home, home, you can't get Purell. So is there something you can make at home that you could spray down a surface with? You say what percentage of alcohol is? Uh, 60% is what the recommendation is. I know that, I mean, the oldest wives' tale ever had vinegar was the cleaning agent that you used for everything. It's, it's a natural uh, cleaning agent in many different ways, from laundry detergent to... You know, glass, mm-hmm, wood. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you want to search on social media during this time that you can't find anything other than about coronavirus, there's so many different recipes that you can make in your home to just do regular cleaning in your house and to ensure that you're doing a good job mm-hmm. sanitizing and decreasing risk. The key to that, though, is the amount of the uh, the. Um percentage of alcohol that's in it. Well, that's if you're using a hand sanitizer. Really, the gold standard is actually washing with soap and water. Right, right. Um, So I I don't know what vinegar's ability is to fight um, this, but I do know that if you wash your hands with regular old soap and water, you do a really good job. You know, it's just amazing how um, to take something like this to remind us that... uh, you know, mom was always right. Yes. <laughs> mom yes. was, wash your hands. Yeah. What are you going to wash my hands for? Because we're going to have dinner. Go wash your hands. Yeah, soap and water works. It does work. Soap, soap and water works, uh, 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 folks. At least 20 seconds. Uh, two times with the... Uh, Happy birthday. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, we've all seen doctors uh, on television scr- scrubbing up, and it always looked like, uh, gee, what's, you know... What are, what are they OCD? What is that? What is that? It's really the fingertips. It's very important to get to get to go to work on it. When anybody is hired by retreat, from the day that retreat opened, from the day we were joint commission credentialed or licensed, um, every single employee must go through a hand-washing surveillance. They have to actually read about proper hand-washing. They have to demonstrate proper hand-washing. Every year, we have a safety um a safety day where everybody, it's mandatory to come. You have to then do hand washing again. It's a station that you have to go through and get signed off. And then the Infectious Control Committee in the past six months started a monthly surveillance where we assigned someone on the committee to walk throughout the campus, document observations of hand washing. And if there's anything we see that's not proper, then we get some emails and communication out just as a continuous reminder. In addition to signs that are posted every single place that you wash your hands, that has always been what we've done. And I think every healthcare system has always done that because we understand universal precautions came because this is not our first pandemic. Right. You know, it's interesting because we have a, uh, you have a, your, your large group facility right around the corner from where we record the program and months ago i walked past one of the seminars the door was open and it was about washing hands and i remember as i walked this is months ago as i walked past it i was i thought to myself hand washing they've got 100 people in there and they're telling them how to wash their hands so yeah it's uh it's we, we act like it's uh, a given, but uh, you know it's not very often. In some places you got to stay right on top of it. And we have more with Melissa Callahan from Retreat Behavioral Health as we take a, a very deep look at the preparations necessary for uh, taking uh, taking precautions uh, both at home and in, in healthcare facilities as uh, as the uh, fight against the. Uh, COVID-19 continues. Steve Martorano with you. Recovery Radio. Don't go away. We have more. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano with you. Um, 
Our guest, Melissa Callahan, has been on the program many times. I always look forward to talking to Melissa because she makes my job easy uh, and uh, she knows what she's talking about. Corporate Director of Infectious Disease as well as Corporate Director of Nursing for Retreat Behavioral Health in their facilities in Lancaster County in, at West, in West Palm Beach in Florida and in Southern Connecticut as well. It's a big job. Melissa has uh, was mobilized weeks and weeks ago to get ready for this um, and and she's been telling us what goes on inside a healthcare facility. We 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 wanted to do this be, because we we knew we could give answers about something now that most people who have loved ones in facilities, I think in most cases, certainly in the nursing care. I don't know what's going on at hospitals, but I suspect hospitals are. So University of Pennsylvania, I think, just the other day said no visitors. We we don't need visitors. So take us through that process because it's very troubling to people, particularly people who have elderly. Uh, parents or loved ones in nursing homes. Yes. So the refusal of having visitors is the primary reason. And when you wrap your mind around this, you understand it so much more. Most people can carry this and either not know or have mild symptoms. So every hospital, every healthcare facility, you have immunocompromised patients. These are our high risk patients. So for you to come, you can potentially expose them. So the point is not to keep you locked out. The point is not to worry that the people inside the facilities are going to give it to you, but that you may bring something into the facilities not even knowing. And it's a risk that isn't worth it. And maybe nothing will come out of it, but it's much better to be ahead of it than to find out one person walked into a hospital setting or a 500-bed nursing home and just exposed our highest-risk patients where the mortality rate lies. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that's the first thing that um, I think people need to get their head around. They're not protecting us from anything. They're, they're making sure that we don't bring anything into these facilities. Are uh, So... Um, that's another thing that it was the staff at a place like Retreat has to be prepared to deal with and uh, and and explain that uh, uh, to families. Are you hearing that that's going uh, well? Are people understanding that? Yeah, I think that we're fortunate that um, we have more family groups and family sessions. And I think anybody who was even planning to come, they're almost canceling themselves before we could even cancel it because they're hearing what's out there and they're thinking what's the right thing to do. So people are making their independent decision, and I think there's not as much pushback. Yeah. Well, there's also a greater involvement with the family when the issue is behavioral health or substance abuse. They are not. This is never, when done well, a, a situation where you drop someone off at a facility and come back when they're all better. Right. If it's going to work, the family has been involved from day one right so they would have a better appreciation of why you can't come now right and we have the ability to have email conversations Mm -hmm. and tell a video ability and i think that if we're going to utilize you know social media i think this is the way we should use it to ensure that people have some communication to alleviate that anxiety that fear the unknown uh, I want you to put your nurse's uh, your nurse's hat on here for a couple of seconds so I can ask the, the dumb questions, which is what I'm really good at. What, we talk about an incubation period of a, of a virus. What does that mean? And how long does – what does that mean? So it's saying that you're exposed, you have it, but maybe you don't have symptoms yet. Maybe you don't know about it. And part of the issue is that we keep hearing the number 14. There's this potential 14 days that you are – 
having it, contracting it, incubating it, potentially becoming symptomatic of it, and definitely spreading it. Do I know if that's a hard and fast number? I I don't. This is, I mean, between epidemiologists and scientists, this is what they're coming up with. And that is pretty much the average number for all viruses that exist. If earlier in this flu season you had gotten the flu, not COVID-19, but the flu, and then recovered, are you more or less susceptible to getting COVID-19? I don't think that we know that yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know if you've created antibodies in your system, if you've been vaccinated from a virus, that you have the potential to have a better immune response. But if you eat fruit and vegetables every day, if you flush your flu, your system with fluids and have healthy behaviors, you are, you're very good immune system. Um, Drinking water is important. Yes. Fluids continuously is very important. It, it, it flushes the system. It detoxes the system. Hydration is one of the biggest keys to healthy living. If someone uh, does uh, is diagnosed with COVID-19, recovers obviously, are they then immune from ever getting it again? Or no, they have immunities, just like you do when you're exposed to any virus. Your body has a recognition that when this comes along, okay, this worked before, which is the whole point of a vaccination, which I'm sure they're going to come up with a vaccination because we don't know where this is going to go. I think COVID-19 is creating as much anxiety and stress as it is because we don't know. We've fortunately or unfortunately have lived through many flu pandemics. Scientists and medical professionals have learned kind of how it goes. We know that the flu generally dies down come April, May, and we know there's an end in sight. We don't know what is going to happen with COVID-19. And I think they are aggressively studying and trying to produce as much solid information that is helpful to create us to get through this and the least amount of fatalities and as healthy as we can. Well, you know, uh, Students of history and some folks who are, in fact, old enough will remember in a very other dark moment in American history, the president stood up and said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Uh, this is not like that. This is a little different. There is something scary. But uh, f- uh, fear probably is uh, the, the last place we should go. Uh, Melissa, my advice is to people stay calm and wash your hands. How yes, about you? I believe that is a good statement. I'm going to let you get back to work because I know your phone's been melting down as we've been talking. Melissa Callahan, Corporate Director of Nursing and uh, Director of Infectious Disease for Retreat Behavioral Health. I want to ha- we'll have you back as soon as possible and you can tell us this thing's under control. Oh, I would love to. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, yeah, stay calm and wash your hands. This is Recovery Radio. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.